daily wisdom words. Daily wisdom words. Daily wisdom words podcast, a writing-based podcast that takes you into the minds of writers. Yes, and we give you a whole lot of discussion. Let's get into it. Hello, my name is Marini O'Day, and I will be one of your hosts, and would like to welcome you to our second Daily Wisdom Words podcast. For those of you not familiar with Daily Wisdom Words, we are a writer's online community of articles, poetry, artwork, music, book reviews, and so much more. We welcome you to join us every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, where we will be discussing and talking to some very distinguished authors, each one specializing in topics you don't want to miss. Hey, everyone. I am Neil Shavetti, and I will be your co-host. We want to thank you for joining us today and give you a very warm welcome to our second podcast. We are both very excited to be a part of this, and we're sure you will be too, with each of our fascinating guests every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. We also want to give a shout out to all the Daily Wisdom Words members who are listening today. We want to thank our producer, Monday Abu, for coming up with this awesome idea. We want a sneak peek at the guests that will be joining us in the future. Go on over to dailywisdomwords.com. Every Saturday, you'll have full access to our podcast page, and that podcast page will be updated every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. On that page, you'll see the name of the upcoming guest who is scheduled for the next show. That podcast page can be found by going to dailywisdomwords.com, clicking on the drop-down menu, and then clicking on podcast. You'll also be able to submit a question or any other feedback you have for our show. Just leave your name and your email. And remember, if we choose your question to be asked on the next show, you are going to get a surprise gift from us. Today, our guest is not only an author and a fantastic poet, but is also a survivor of trauma. She is brave. She is a pillar of strength and inspiration to all of us. She's the author of the soul-stirring poetry collection called Survivor's Mind. It's a privilege to introduce Catherine Mellon. Kathy? Hey, Kathy. Thank you. Hey. Hello. Hello, Neil. Hello, Monday. Hello, Samantha. Hello, Weenie. Thank you for having me here. It's such a pleasure to meet you. you it's a pleasure to meet you. You are a hero of mine. Oh, thank you. I mean, this book just, it was fabulously written the, the, how you put it into poetry of what you've been through mm -hmm. is like one of the greatest things I've ever seen and if you don't mind I would like to read one of your poems to our oh. audience oh it's yes my please. favorite poem and it's called Kathy's Rule sing a song or think a happy thought life is too short for all the anger you've got take a chill it will be all right. No need to get loud or even start a fight. Just walk away if that's what you must do to get rid of anger that's inside of you. Think happy thoughts or sing, to your, sing yourself a song. Just don't come back until your anger is gone. You, I'm living by that, Kathy. Do you want to hear a funny story of why I wrote that? I would love that's to. That was actually a grocery list that my ex-husband thought I was writing. He was standing on the opposite side of an island. 
And this was probably about a year before we divorced. And he thought I was writing a grocery list and he just sat there bitching, bitching, bitching. I ended up fighting that and I handed it to him. Yeah. No so, way. Yeah, that was actually a grocery list I started to write that. Yeah, I ended I need to get pencil. I need to write a grocery list. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, um, okay. I guess it's time to get a little serious here. Um, but Kath, how did it all start? Um, you know, I was 14 years old staying in a friend's home. And I just decided one day I wanted to tell my friend what had happened to me. And I went in and I just sat down and I described myself as a bird. And I wrote my very first poem. And it's actually in that book. It's called Flying Free. And it was basically describing my day that in 1981, when I ran to my friend's house um, that Saturday morning, and it was about me escaping the child abuse, but also knowing that I was leaving it for somebody else to, you know, that somebody else in this world was actually going through what I had once gone through. So, and I just started writing and I realized that even though I was a secret, I was telling my secret throughout my poetry and my journals. And I always knew that despite it all, I wouldn't die a secret. And, and well, also, how and when did the child abuse start? Oh, um, that started when I was five years old. Um, I was living with my birth mother and I was a very confused child because I had later found out that I was actually given to my dad's family for the first few years of my life and then placed back to my birth mother. And the abuse started when she brought her boyfriend home and um, it started right from then. And the very first attack, my birth mother had find, found me hiding behind a chair, crying hysterically. And when she asked me what happened, I had told her it was a secret I couldn't tell. From there on, she started to defend her boyfriend. She would tell me that um, he mixed up his adult playing with me or he had a sickness he was trying to control. And it just kept going on until by age seven, um, she was yelling at me for always going to her about things her, her boyfriend was doing. So by eight, I started to get scared to tell my mother. And though I still told her, I told her in a little like around the bend way, instead of saying what he was actually doing, I would say, mom, he's still doing it to me. Or mom, he took more photos of me. Mom, he kept me in your room all, all while you were at work. Even with the marks on my neck or whatnot, she would make me wear turtlenecks to school. So she protected him. And as I got older, my defiance to want to be left alone just followed me. And I was now chasing my birth mother out the door to not leave me with him. And even as a 10-year-old, I would stand across the street as her boyfriend was hollering for me to go in the house. And I wouldn't because I knew he wouldn't come and drag me in the house because that would cause attention. So I guess in a way, I was learning my fight in materials on my fundamentals of building my stage and of keeping my courage and my strength and not even realizing that when I ran at age 11, that I actually saved my life. And I didn't realize it still took me a few years to realize that, you know, but I'm not seeing anybody. Are you all there? I'm, I'm here. here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But We're I mean, it, it's a lifelong thing and, like what I'm writing in this Understanding Childhood Trauma book is that it's sad that it took 40 years 
for every aspect of my life to actually start to make sense. And, you know, had society or family or even, you know, the rules of the law, had they been there for an abused child, instead of telling us to move on or get over it or forgive and forget, I mean, we need to understand that there are some things that are actually unforgivable. You oh, know? absolutely. He, yep. It was the R word he was do, doing to you, correct? Yeah. Yes. Who yes. is honorary? Who's honora? Honoria. 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 Yeah. Yes. I, I'm from um, California. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, she's from California too. Um, their family's from Sec- uh, Petaluma, California. Oh, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. place. Yeah. So they visit out there a lot and stuff. But um, Honoria is my friend's mom. She's the Portuguese woman whose home I ran to that Saturday morning. And I mortified her. You know, she, I mean, I'm, I still remember her screaming, What's going on over there? And at one point, she had actually called the police. And the police showed up at her house, but it was drilled in my head that my abuser knew everyone on the police force. So I refused to go in and to go out and talk to the police. And later that morning, she had told me that she called my mother at work. And that phone call is what saved my life. Um, when my mother got out of work that day, I was told to go home. Um, I want to go inside the house because the boyfriend was there. So I went inside my mother's car who was actually in the process of abandoning me at a cousin's house. But on the ride there, that was her first question to me was, what did you say to your friend's mother? And it clicked on me. And I said, well, I told her everything, even though I didn't tell her anything. I let my birth mother believe that I had told her everything. And that is the sole reason why I was never returned to to her boyfriend. So, you know, it was a long, very long road after that, um, a very painful road. But the one thing that I always reminded myself was that my abuser never touched me again. And Rini, those were my words well into my well into my mid-20s that I had to keep reminding myself that as much as things in my life did stink, that, that man never touched me again. And that meant everything to me. Wow. That's, that's really good. Um, you mentioned uh, about how people tend to treat people in your situation or many others about how like you know they say get over it they think that it's Mm -hmm. something that oh you can just snap out of it or you know do something or get some therapy and you'll be fine yeah so this is like a two-part question uh after all that and after you got out of that situation how did you cope with the ptsd that's one part of the question and uh the second part is what would you say to others in a similar situation who are perhaps on the road to recovery. Maybe they're seeing a therapist, maybe they're in a support group. And yet time and time again, there are going to be triggers which might bring back the memories. It's not just going to be one smooth sailing. It's like, you know, you're always going to be in that process of recovery. So two, two part question, a, how did you in the coming years deal with it? And two, what would you say to others who are on that road to recovery, but maybe see a few roadblocks or still feel the triggers or how would they handle that? Well, for your first question, the one thing that I always reminded myself growing up, um, whenever the emotions of my childhood got the best of me, the words, I'm safe. I always reminded myself, I'm safe. No matter what life threw at me, I was safe. I was safe from what I lived through as a child. Um, And you know, that's, 
it isn't a one-time thing. You just don't speak once about it. It comes back constantly. And as the triggers, they will always be there, no matter how many times, you know. There's no pill, there's no drug, no alcohol, a love song that can ever take away bad memories. You know, they won't take away good memories. So how can we expect bad memories? And that's something I truly believe. As a teenager, I would actually approach elderly people and ask them if they remember their childhood, just because I wanted to see if we really forgot our childhood. And up until age 30, I truly believe that I would forget everything that was once done to me. And that, you know, to speak of others that are going through what I have gone through, um, you know, only do what you can. You're not forced to speak up. You know, I'm here for you. I'll speak up for you. Uh, I'm speaking up not only for myself, but for all the other children, because that's still, it still gets me to this day. So I'm going to stop crying. But it still gets me to that this day that it still happens, you know. There's still little five, six, seven-year-old children that truly believe that their world is that type of world, a world of being abused, that behind a closed door, that once that door opens, you go running out and you cry and you can't say what happened to you because the people in the home, they don't care, you know? And what makes my case even worse is that I also lived with two older brothers and a birth mother that did nothing. You know, my birth mother had a daughter with my abuser who's younger than me. And it's like my two older brothers just skipped over me. And I would try to wonder how, for so many years, how could they have been like that? And then I realized that I was locked in a room most of the time with this old man. I mean, there would be times where eight, nine, 10 hours a day, I would be locked in a room while my birth mother and two older brothers and baby sister lived their lives in that home, you know, and it's really sad that as 11 years old, I knew that I could not run back into my home, even if my two older brothers were there because they didn't help me before. So, and I ran, I ran because that was the day I was going into a cellar wall. It was a cellar wall that my abuser was allowed to dig up while I healed from injuries from the last attack I had suffered in his hands. And that attack was very brutal because I hid so well for so many hours that by the time he caught me, the attack wasn't a sexual attack, but yet a more of a physical attack. I was left with a deformed face, lost teeth, broken ribs, and all things that I had to heal because even after that happened, and I begged everyone to call the police, because I asked everybody to call the police, my bedroom door was shut while I healed. My birth mother would come in and bring me a pan to, you know, urine in. Um, she would help me change my clothes or change the bandages around my waist area. But it was never about what my abuser did to me. It was always about what did I do to him to piss him off. What, what happened to him? Um, he went off. Um, in that time frame from when I ran that very same week, a young 13-year-old girl went missing uh, in the city of Lowell. And in that short time that my birth mother stayed living in that home, three girls were murdered in the city of Lowell and one still remains missing to this day. Wow. I've gone to the Lowell police since because um, I went off to live my life. I went off to 
accept that day as a day that my abuser never touched me again without really concentrating on the reason why I ran and my repressed memories that I suffered at age 45 helped me understand why I ran, the reason why I ran. And I went straight to the police on, on that matter. And um, there's now an ongoing investigation. Police have been in my home, my childhood home numerous times. And then the coronavirus hit. So, so my story's not over, unfortunately. Um, I have been in contact with all the victims' families. Um, we're friends on Facebook. Um, we, they follow my blog. We've, you know, we've talked. It's horrifying. Um, you know, I've always carried a survivor's guilt. I went off to um, go and check my local library for missing or murdered girls between 1980 and 81 because as I got older, it went in my head that I ran in 1980 and my repressed memories helped me realize that it was actually 1981 when I ran, which meant another whole year of the abuse that I just tried to block. And the reason why I blocked that was because if I had remembered, I mean, who wants to remember the Cameron Love and Safe family you never had? And had I remembered that, I would have remembered all of my family didn't know. So, so he's yeah. not in jail. Uh, he passed away. He, he's been long gone. Um, but, oh, okay. But my birth mother's still alive. Um, detectives have been to her. My two older brothers are still alive. So, um, you know, even though he's gone, there's still justice. There's still answers. Um, these families, they need closure for what happened to their loved ones, you know. And, you know, so, it, yeah. I mean, you said that your brothers and your mother is still there. How is your relationship with them now? as far as interacting oh, I've never with had, them? Or... I've never had a relationship with them. I tried in my 20s, mm-hmm. but it was always broken. There was always something there. And the thing is, is anytime I would question, hey, do you remember what happened on Ple- um, Pleasant Street? Or do you remember me when I was a child? And they never seemed to remember, but yet they would talk of their memories as if, you know, nothing happened. But when it came to me, they ne- just never remembered anything. Wow. And it got to the point where they would shun me. They would like ignore me or hang up on me. Um, one time I was at one of the brothers' house and he ran upstairs and would not come down unless I stopped talking about Pleasant Street. And he actually told me to repent and find God. And that, that, those words, when he said that to me, it was like a light bulb went up on my head. And I was like, you know what? I am going to, I am going to forgive. I'm going to forgive myself for trying so hard to belong to a family that I never really belonged to. And I distanced myself from them since then. When my repressed memories happened, I reached out to them. And again, they didn't remember. So it, it was it was worthless. And when the detective called me to tell me that they found the hole in that cellar wall 37 years later, um, it's a tunnel that goes into the cellar wall and it's so deep. Um, the foundation's dangerous. It was all hidden behind boards and everything, but detectives have been there in there at least eight times with multiple things, fishing poles, flashlights, anything to get in there safely. And then, like I said, the coronavirus happened. So now we're going to start getting back on, on them getting in there because things have played up with the coronavirus, you know, and hopefully it stays, stays that way. But um, it, it's been a long road, but you know, like, the detective had told me when I went there in 2018, um, you know, it took me 30 years to get to where I am to get to the police. 
you know, they have to go all the way back on this man's history, his lifetime and everything. And, you know, so, so it, wow. I'm glad. I know I did right when I went to the police. It's the one thing that I tried so hard to do when I was a teenager. You know, when, um, when I was 12, uh, my birth mother had told me that my abuser was in jail for what he did, did to me. And when I was living with another family at age 14, I had found out my abuser was never in jail. And that's right when I started my crusade to go to the police. But as a teenager, I wanted support. And so I would go to my two brothers and my birth mother, but they would just shun me away um, until finally my birth mother did all she could to degrade what was left of my 15-year-old soul that uh, the lady actually broke me. I mean, broke me. I just cried and cried and cried. I ended up staying in her backyard overnight. And that was the day that I just went on. The next day, I, I went on to live my life and forget about my past, a past that I obviously never forgot. So, My hero. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Kathy, you are a beautiful woman. And none of this was your fault. I, I know that. Any of it that was your fault. Yes. And yeah. I can't believe how amazing you are. And you're writing. Please, everybody, please get this book. Yeah. It's, it's the best yeah. thing. And, yeah. You know, that book cover was done by Jane Conwell in the UK. And phenomenal, phenomenal. Whenever she showed me that book cover, I was like, she gave me a few samples to go through, you know, with the roses and teardrops. And then she showed me that one. And. I was like, I want that one. I thought that wow. was perfect. Who did that? The artwork? Because I've noticed that it's was so all Jane Con Conwell. Yeah, oh, all from wow. Jane Con Conwell. Yeah, nice. she did all the illustrations, everything. Nice. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, really she made the transition. Yeah. You know, I've never published a book, and she made it very, very easy for me. And you know, thank you, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so yeah. where would you say writing this um, book? And obviously, it's an excellent book. And like we mentioned earlier, soul-stirring poetry. Where are you right now as of everything uh, psych psychologically and mentally? More hopeful or optimistic or the other way? Where are you exactly right now? I am so grateful. As much as I hate the horrifying memories, the reality they told me, I am so grateful to be on the other side of my repressed memories because up until 2015, I truly believed it was my fault for the broken relationships I had with my family, um, for not getting over my childhood or, you know, for not forgiven. I always felt it was my fault. Now being on the other side of these repressed memories, it's, it's empowering. You know, my voice scares them. And, you know, that's sad because I'm a really cool person. You know, they're missing out on so much with me. You, know? you are a really cool person. Yeah. And that was something I always felt like I missed out on them. And now I see that they missed out on me, you know, and I actually ran into one of those brothers um, about two weeks ago. I hmm. went in to go have my neck procedure on. And as I walk in, um, the pain clinic only allows like one, one patient at a time. And there was one patient in the waiting room, which I didn't think nothing of it. I go up to the, and they love me. I am their favorite patient there. I've been going there for six years now. <laughs> and so I'm talking and then all of a sudden I hear, what are the chances you'd be here? And I turned around and there he was. No way. And all, wow. my chest puffed out. 
like my shoulders went back and I was ready to say, I remember 40 years ago, but he, he walked away. He got up and walked away. So, and that just made me feel, cause you know, um, for years when I would approach him, he would like shun me away like that. You know, now I'm empowered because I stood there with my shoulders back, my chest puffed out and they're scared of me, you know, and it's not that they're scared of me, they're scared of the truth. And exactly. Because yeah, I'm he's the one who walked away, not you. Yeah. So, yes. And, you know, real- all my, I mean, I have friendships well over 40 years, 30 years, and they're all like, now everything makes sense. You know, even my children were all like, geez, mom, now it all makes sense. You know, of course. You're, yeah. I, I donated to the Children's Abuse Fund oh, because thank you. I, you know, I believe that, you know, what you're doing is what everyone should be because children yeah. should not have to go through. I'm going to cry. Yeah. What you no, had to no. go through, Kathy? Yes, I, you know, those emotions still really do get the best of me, um, without a doubt. Uh, I get sick to my stomach sometimes, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes I even vomit. Um, it, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. And, you know, I remind, I'm safe. I'm safe, and that's what I have to do. I have to remind myself that constantly. Um, but what I do have coming out this fall um, that poetry book is actually a window into my two-part memoir that I have coming out. And I had to do two parts only because I didn't want the horrificness of my book to be the first pages of my book. So what I did was I made my memoir into two parts. And the first part is called A Childhood Tragedy Under a Mother's Watch. And it's basically age five to age 12. And it ends with me standing on a sidewalk, staring at the home that my family lived in and how I was so unwanted by them. And then the second part of my memoir, which will be out next next summer, is called A Life Given to Me. And it starts off from that sidewalk. And it goes on up until me walking into the police station and what the outcome of it all is and stuff. So, you know, and I don't leave anything out. Everything in there is, everything that I've lived through regarding my, uh, my family, my birth mother, um, and my father, I did end up finding my father who had spent years looking for me, but unfortunately in the 1970s, a father didn't have rights. So, um, my father had spent many years trying to get me back and I finally did find him at age 13, but unfortunately I lost him five months later to cancer. So, you know, um, and in that five months, my father had left me with so much advice, information, and, and words of wisdom that I've actually carried on throughout my life. You know, they molded me. Um, the friendships that I kept molded me. Um, and I've always knew it was my choice. You know, my friend had given me a big lecture one time. I think I was 13 years old about using drugs or alcohol and how it's my choice if I wanted to do them. And that's why I always took the choice not to. You know, my family had already messed up my life enough. I didn't want to mess, be, uh, you know, be part of messing up my own life. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of myself, you know, for being a functioning member of society, for not going to drugs, uh, not going towards alcohol. And I know some people aren't that lucky, but it, it doesn't mean that they're any weaker than I am. You know, we all have our own problems and it doesn't, you know, I get a lot of messages that from people that will say, 
oh, I thought my life was messed up, but then I read yours and I feel a little bit better, you know? And I'm like, really? You know, I'm like, now like make me feel this little, you know? And, and that's why I like to remind people that no matter what our stage of pain is, we all have a right to feel, a, you know, to feel justified, to feel what we're feeling, you know? And nobody's pain is greater than the other, no matter what, you know? Even if one does seem like they live through more, you know, um, it, it's like if I was to talk to somebody who was raped as an adult, and if, even if she was only raped once, it doesn't make her what happened to her any least of, you know, because of what I lived through, you know, hers is just as, as trauma as mine is. And, you know, and that's what I like people to know, you know, stop putting it on a scale. There is no scale when it comes to trauma. You know, what somebody went away to war and saw at war is the same thing that I saw in my childhood. You know, we're the same. We're all equal. We all have one moon. We all live on one world, you know, and, you know, I just hope that someday this society gets to see that. Well, Kathy, you make the world a better place. Oh, and so don't you. And Ben and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> there we go. It will get us yeah. through anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, this yeah. was, I would say, I can't, I, I don't want to use a cliched phrase like it's a pleasure to talk to you because I felt that this was not just a podcast episode, but an emotional journey that all of us will take so much away from it, you know, as far yes. as life lessons and hope. And so I won't, I won't go down that road and say, oh, it was great to talk to you because I was going to, but no. this has been so enlightening and so inspiring to talk to you. I will say that oh, this thank has you. been quite a journey and I hope that our listeners take the right lessons away because you had so many, so much hope in this whole conversation. Yeah. Kat, can you remind the, our listeners again where you can buy your book, Survivor's Mind? Yes, my book is available on Amazon. It's in paperback, ebook, and free on the Kindle Unlim uh, Unlimited. Okay. Um, well, um, this brings us to the end of our second Daily Wisdom Words podcast. We want to thank, once again, our very lovely guest and very inspiring guest, Kathy Mellon. Join us next week as we delve into part two with Kathy Mellon and her books that she talked about. We'll get an exclusive preview, a detailed preview on those memoirs, hopefully. And if you have a question for Kathy, don't forget that Wednesday of this week, you can go to dailywisdomwords.com. Go to our drop-down menu and click on podcast. Make sure to leave your name, your question, and your email. And remember, if we pick your question to be on that show, you will have to get a surprise gift from us. We want to thank everyone for joining us today and listening. And Monday Abu, our producer, visit us at dailywisdomwords.com and sign up if you are a poetry fiction, article writer, or just any kind of um, author uh, or human. <laughs> we'll take anybody because it's a fabulous website. Anyway, um, um, it's just $10 for a lifetime membership. No dues. Take part in our active writing prompts, our wisdom word blogs, build your own social media profile, and make sure you use our mini Facebook app to send and receive your request. 
and responses to meet writers just like you. Once again, that's dailywisdomwords.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all of those links, which will be posted in the description of this very special episode of our Daily Wisdom Words podcast. And please submit a question for Kathy. This is one of the most important subjects we will ever do. And she's a fantastic person and a hero of mine. Thank you. Thank you so much. My hero too. See you next week. Yes, awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.